and welcome to Portraits of Clongos, a podcast series that takes you on a journey into the lives of former pupils of Clongos Wood College. My name is Rossa McDermott, and in this podcast series, we will speak with alumni from Clongos to hear their first-hand accounts of the transformative impact this school has had on their lives. What happened to Jack Kavner could happen to anyone. Whilst on holiday with friends, he dived into the sea, he miscalculated the depth. He hit the sand hard and broke his neck, leaving him paralyzed and the chest down. The first question I have, which I have for everybody, is how was your time, Jack, in Clongos, and how would you remember that time? You know, it was similar to, I, I would imagine, many people's experiences, and there's, there's high points and low points. And I remember before I ever got there, one of my influences in in deciding to go there was I had read the Harry Potter books and uh, there's a striking <laughs> similarity uh, in the buildings. But uh, I think the the older years will uh, will ruffle the innocence out of you um, fairly quickly when you get there. But I had I had an amazing time, really. You know, in those early couple of months, it's somewhere along a spectrum of of it feels like a bit of a an extended sleepover and, and then the reality dawns, you know, you have the the loneliness and, and a little bit of homesickness that comes with that period uh, as, as you realize, oh, this is, this for is, real. Uh, this is for real. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, I still remember actually you, I don't know if you had it back in, in your time, but um, we would go in a few days before the other years and we'd be joined by the six year house leaders and those couple of days are really important in in gelling people together and you start to feel a, a sense of comfort and maybe that's uh you know it's a really fun couple of days and and maybe that's where that extended sleepover feel comes from and and then i still remember the just a wave of of uh, people moving through the corridors um as the rest of the school rejoins, you know, and so I would say that initial year was was a real mix between the the fun and excitement of that with uh, with a bit of the loneliness, as we all did in school. I think we pick up nicknames at different stages, and I picked mine up early enough. I was a scrawny little kid, and I remember on one of the early months in in before Christmas, we were out warming up for a rugby match, and I had my dad's old waterproof trousers on and sure I was a little whippet at, at 12 or 13 and and these were fully grown man's trousers and, and so they were slightly oversized on me anyway the wind the wind blew and uh my my two pin pin like legs um were flapping like flagpoles <laughs> and uh and uh so there fairly quickly I was nicknamed chicken legs um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that stuck with me as we went on. I would say part of the the process that I went through was, you know, you get a bit of a, a hard time at different stages and you give a hard time at stages mm-hmm. as you're trying to, to, I suppose they're the, the dynamics of establishing yourself as a as a teenager and so on. And, and I remember being on both the receiving and the giving mm-hmm. <laughs> side of that. And, and, and it came to around junior cert time and groups start to establish and so on and we had a really great crew of lads um we had a brilliant year actually overall but uh we had a bit of a a crew had formed and uh i remember one guy in particular got got a rough time uh during third year and it was towards the middle or end of the year that i realized you know this guy is 
is one of my best friends and we've been we've been kind of rotten to him all year. I remember it was either at the end of that year or the beginning of fourth year apologizing to him for it. I would say that it's probably one of the most formative things that happened during my time in school was that realization that uh, we each have the capacity to be on, on either side of that. And, and it's important uh, to recognize that maybe when you've done wrong. And so I really remember that, but I, I suppose I came into, um, that was uh, a bit of that part of my experience was maybe a bit of, of self-confidence in myself and, um, and maybe after getting a few tough months myself and being on the receiving end of it. And I remember as I came into the senior cycle, then a lot of that just went away uh, within our year group, you know, or, or it was lighthearted and fun. And um, we were really lucky that we had a, a really great rugby year and we had won the junior cup and I played seconds sort of most of the way through school. And then uh, again, in the senior cycle, our year won a cup and again it was just such an exciting time to be part of that and I, I if I remember it right when I was in fifth and sixth year that would have been the year that Connor Gilsonen would have captained yeah. and but we we didn't just have strength at the sort of the was first that Connor's first team. or second year that was um that was his sixth year that we won okay because he's got so two he cups doesn't he he, he is junior and senior, yeah. Do you know in two, um, so he's in two senior finals, one one and lost one, wasn't he? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And there was a lot of and that. I heard that. that Jack over. Across, that is unheard of. I mean, we left in 78. The likes of Greg Dillger won the first cup for us and mm. 15 brave men, which I wasn't one of them. First time in 52 years. And to think that people like you won junior and senior and talk about Connor of two finals, winning one, losing one. Now, that's just uh, majestic stuff, really. In historical yeah, terms, and it was it was a really special time um, mm. in the school. But I I remember, you know, there was so many of the the guys that started on that senior team when we were in sixth year that they got the benefit of being in the final the year before and being right. involved with that squad. We we had a, a sort of a great rugby period because when we were in sixth year, between all of the senior teams in fifth and sixth year, I think there was six senior teams in the final of their given competition that year. Wow. Um, and so it was a really special time. And Leonard Maloney was the principal mm. at that stage. And, and you know, he uh, he had an amazing sense of respect from the, the students. And I can still remember him in the big long trench coat uh, pacing up and down. He couldn't sit during the match, pacing <laughs> up and down the, the sideline yeah. uh, with his hands behind his back. And... Um, yeah, it was it was a really sort of special time. But, you know, I would say um, ultimately the school years are an experience. And in from my perspective, I came towards the end of those school years feeling a really close sense of friendship um, with a lot of the guys in the year. And uh, you really felt you had been part of something. So the uh, phrase meant we for others would mean something to you. Yeah, but I really... Honestly, that came to light when we left. I, as you know, um, sustained a spinal injury mm. about a year after we left. And during those months and years after I had the spinal injury, I really came to understand what that idea of men for others meant as 
the school community rode in behind not just me but my family and you know my my parents have an awful lot of friends from the school community and and i think those kind of elements are often unspoken is the way you're still very much a part of this community and people look after each other after you're gone from the school premises you know so that was certainly where i i felt the meaning of of men for others uh, at at its greatest you know it's talked about day in day out in the school uh, be it at morning prayer or in in talks with the prefects or or whatever it is and you really get a sense of that when when tough times hit later on has been my experience and were you the uh, first to go to Clongos, Jack? Or is there a history of your family with Clongos? Or no? Um, so I, I'm the only boy. I have two younger sisters, and so I was the first. My dad uh, went to St Peter's down in Wexford. Mm. He grew up in Wexford, and so I, I was the the only one uh, to go. Now, one of the things that that I really remember, and just as I'm talking about it, things are popping into mind. I, I really strongly remember the Kairos retreat as being one of the most formative things that happened during the school years and it was you know it was really special atmosphere created uh, over the the long weekend that we did it mm. uh, with the sixth years guiding the fifth years i think that it was the first time i'd experienced you know there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity over the last number of years and it's been thrown around a huge amount mm. but there's another side of that which is is healthy masculinity and and it was probably one of first real experiences I've had of that, of, you know, of, of men and, and sort of just talking openly about the big things in their life that often would get brushed aside in the day-to-day conversations and, uh, and the important things, really. I think anyone that went through that Kairos experience and came away with the Kairos chain, it, it really meant something to them. And uh, I can remember <laughs> a few years later being on a night out in Dandelion, waking up the following morning and realizing my Kairos chain wasn't around my neck anymore. <laughs> and I almost felt a little bit naked without it. Um, uh, I remember getting in touch with them and going back down and scouring the, the sticky floor <laughs> in the... Uh, downstairs where where um the club is was it recovered I, it wasn't recovered but i got back in touch with mary mom and right. uh, she posted me another one out um so uh, and but that was the experience of of a number of my friends that were on kairos as well was that uh this really meant something to them you know mm. and it was really important probably the the most formative part of the whole thing is is the crack that you have in in the corridors and the dorms and you know the the banter is just brilliant um through those years and and you did five um, or six years six years did you i had six years yeah. in the school so a really good time and you you kind of appreciate the experience that you've had and how strong some of the friendships that you've made are when you come out and you meet others that have been to other schools and there's there's maybe an extra layer that comes with the boarding school versus a day school and when you spend so much time with each other and uh, around each other and yeah it's very it's very human experience I think. And what people forget the other side of living together is you have to learn to get on with people even though it's not mm. immediately easy you know what I mean whereas a day school you can walk away from problems and face them next day you know what I mean and that's a 
the pros and cons of living together. You have to understand communal living, I guess, in that way for good and bad, you know? Absolutely. And and the the idea of of support and and equally of boundaries is probably something I learned quite strongly. And you know, you have to find ways to create your own space for yourself. <laughs> because we all need a bit of that. And and I used to do that by running. And uh, I was big into water sports uh, oh, yeah. through college as well. Mm. And I, I did a lot of windsurfing and towards the latter years in school on my breaks. And that, that was how I spent my summers sort of from 16 on was instructing and windsurfing in the West of Ireland and uh, lifeguarding and, and so on. But um, I remember one of the ways that I created just a little bit of space every day was during the 15 minute break, I would grab my books grab a snack and head up to the computer room and I'd only get maybe five minutes there and I would be checking the weather forecast uh, and, and the wind forecast for all the beaches that I knew I couldn't go to. Um, <laughs> but it, it was just, it was one of the ways I was just really addicted to, to the water and I'd be wondering about what would be going on and sort of uh, reading the reports and so on. And, and the other way I got a bit of space was through running. I'm sure you just have such good grounds for that between the the forest and the pleasure grounds and yeah uh, the triangle and so on. Yeah. Was it uh, was the Rath Coffee Run still done in your time? Was it going out through the pleasure grounds down the back way? Because I go down there now, I can't see the path. But for us in our time, I could do the Rath Coffee Run during the break in Nate's study between eight and nine, and it was a great right. run. You go up to I, a coffee I, by the castle. I don't think it's done anymore. In those no, days, I, it was a thing. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it was a thing, yeah. Yeah, we used to have the triangle race. Yeah, that's um, post our time, yeah. Uh, the back avenue and front avenue, is it? Yeah, and yeah. across the, the main road there. Mm. Yeah, we, we had the, the VIP, or sorry, the, the VMP, the Vinnie Murray pitch at that stage. And our eight to nine break was, was spent out there. A lot of the time kicking and playing touch rugby and those kinds of things are poking mm. a slither around. So we're really lucky to have that. So there's 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 another thing that really stands out to me and like I could tell you all sorts of development that we shouldn't have gotten up to and the crack but one of the things that stands out and I think it really it shows the support and just the way that the prefects are keeping an eye and it was one day I I think I was in fourth year at the time and we weren't allowed our phones, but of course, everyone had them hidden in different ways. And one of my friends back at home was having a tough time and he made it clear that uh, that he was he was having a really rough time. And I got a text uh, one day that really spiked my stress levels, I would say. Um, it, I needed to call his parents and for whatever reason maybe my phone had been confiscated or something but I remember going in um to Mr Pickering at the time and and saying sir uh, I, I need to make a phone call and for whatever reason he said you know now is not a good time or whatever and I said I, I need the privacy I, I need to I need to make a phone call and he just saw the look on my face and, and he stayed with me and that night I had to to call uh, my friend's parents and and tell them they needed to go and find him and the end of that weekend that was maybe on a Thursday and that Sunday I came back and I'd been pretty upset about this um over the course of that day uh, on Sunday as I went home and sort of explained what had happened at home and Frank Kelly was 
he just happened to be passing as I came in the, the front of the school and he saw my face and he just said, is everything okay, Cav? And by whatever expression he saw, he just said, come on in here for a minute. And he spent about an hour and a half with me just chatting through it. And I think they're the things that before you enter the school, unless you've had someone in your family or or a parent go through the place before, they're the little things that are the big things that ultimately are on no prospectus or or whatever. I remember that moment as being quite profound and you really feel that the school has your back. Yeah. So, yeah, just a, another moment that stands out to me, you know. And given your own personal circumstance and having left and what you've just said, could you articulate what those values and disciplines are that you take with you when you leave and stand to you in life, either good or yeah. bad? Yeah, well, I certainly think I learned um, a level of, of discipline and um, maybe I would phrase it as, as self-respect while I was there and respect for others. So I'd maybe bundle bundle that into, I suppose, a, a sense of respect. And that was kind of working hard of respecting others and respecting yourself. That was one of the big things that came up. Probably one of the ways that that played out for me was in putting in a proper effort into things that you were doing. Mm. And, 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 you know, that's a form of self-respect, um, not selling yourself short. But also in in terms of like, we were taught, I suppose, just by the nature of the way the sporting um, and, and arts uh, elements of the school are set up that, you know, there, there's other ways outside the academics to, to respect yourself. And that's in terms of your creativity and your health. So I, I, I certainly learned that. I think you observe, absorb the importance of of connection so i would say that was another big thing you know you really felt the loss of that when you didn't have it coming away from the school maybe for for the summers and so on and the connection and, and friendship element so i'd say respect and connection were huge and probably if i was to to go for a third one and i don't quite know how to phrase it but it was somewhat of a an appreciation for where we came from and and that we were lucky and you probably get exposed to that bit by bit over the time that you're there you know it's it's a privileged position to get to go to a school like Longo's but particularly in fourth year Tony Egan did a great job at helping us to appreciate that that we were incredibly fortunate and that maybe there was others out there that weren't because it becomes your world you know when you're in there and and he and Others in the school helped us to see past that. Frank Kelly was a big proponent of that. You know, Tom Carroll as well. And and maybe that sort of comes with an increasing level of maturity as you age a bit, but through through the school. But yeah, that appreciation that, that we were very fortunate um, in a lot of our positions to, to be there. And it's that element of of maybe keeping keeping an eye out and giving back to, to those that that weren't so fortunate, you know. And in your case, has it helped you face your challenges? Because the Jesuit education tends to be introspective, they, they, you know, and sometimes when you're facing challenges, the introspection is not exactly what you need and overanalyzing. So 
that's the point of my question. I mean, I just had a stroke, as I said to you, I've learned to deal out of the last two years. But I often wonder if I was built a certain way, I might go over, over things in my mind and be analytical. I'm not sure that part of the training I've got would have helped me. Yeah, well, I, I would say that that part of self-reflection has been incredibly beneficial for me, coupled with tilts towards action, I suppose. And the, the big pieces of the puzzle for me in the early days was the level of support that came out from the school in terms of the relationships and connections that, that I had. The relationships and the connection within those relationships came out massively in support of me and my family hmm. afterwards. And, and so that was just remarkable, the extent to which the school and past pupils mobilized to support me through that time. So, so that's a huge part of it. But you mentioned it, the in introspective nature and, and maybe some of the elements that you learn through the likes of Kairos. And I remember there was a silent retreat and there was evenings where the, the chapel was just opened up and there'd be kind of music playing. And, you know, it, it, it's layered in at different in different ways at different stages. And I think that's really important because it gives you maybe some tools to process some of the things you're experiencing. For me, there was a huge amount of grief, you know, about the loss of the life that I had planned and the function in different parts of my body. And, and you know, with grief comes shock and denial and bargaining. There's the, the frustration and the anger. There's a natural sort of dip or depression. And and as you're going through all of that, that can be a testing time. And there's particularly in the, the dip or the depressive phase, that is quite natural after any kind of loss or grief. That's a time where you do kind of look inward and you find maybe a little bit of something that you didn't realize you had to keep going. You experience some of that as well. And, and, and that helps you take steps ultimately towards the upward swing um, and, and reconstructing life in a new way. And, and that's true of life after losing someone you care about or after a spinal injury in my case or a stroke in yours. And, um, and there's so many other ways that that takes shape, whether it's financial struggle or or anything else, the loss of a relationship. And, and so I certainly think now that you mention it, you know, who knows what I have had some of those skills to process maybe in a healthy way or a healthier way had I not been in the school, you know. No, remarkable to hear you talk about it. And if I switch gears, I'll just ask you, what was your first memory? I mean, was it walking, driving up the avenue? What is there an outstanding vision you had of uh, the place? We only had one day before the six years came. You had two. Well, can you remember what that feeling was when you went there first time? Yeah, there was, you know, a nervous apprehension. I, I mm. still remember driving down the avenue. Yeah, I really still Which is only 750 metres, but it seems like about 10 miles. Oh my, like, and, you know, it's kind of dawning on you what's about to happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my mom was, you know, upset, like, at the time, <laughs> her, her little boy yeah. um, heading off. And my dad was kind of silent in the front. And, yeah, stoic. <laughs> um, yeah, stoic. And uh, I remember arriving in and meeting one of the guys, Tyg, um, he was in the room that I was in. I, I was allocated uh, into a four-man room, I mm. think, at the beginning. And I remember meeting Tyg and we all thought he was a prefect because <laughs> Tyg had like full facial hair and, oh. and hair coming out of everywhere that, that the rest of us didn't yeah. at that stage. And uh, <laughs> that was one of my abiding memories was, you know, 
like uh, asking him where do we put our bags or yeah. what whatever and he's like well i'm in the room same as you so uh <laughs> that is the tag is it yeah that was probably Ty Cassett, yeah. Oh, Ty Cassett, yeah, yeah. These guys who so, shave at the age of I, I 12 are frightening, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think that they have it exactly, all figured yeah. out for some reason, but they're probably as nerve-wracked as you were, you know what I mean? Exactly. He, he was a few stages ahead in, in physical development. <laughs> yeah, um, which mattered a lot took, in those took, days. Took me, took me about 15 years to catch up <laughs> on the shaving front. <laughs> <laughs> and if I was to ask you any piece of music, oh. uh, Jack or Cav, uh, that takes you back to that day that when you hear it now still stirs that kind of uh, memory? So there's probably two. In the early years, there was a song called Fish in the Sea. This was uh, something that we used to play in the in the dorms when the prefects weren't around. Right. And the, the song would go on and an amp somewhere and you just knew what was coming and heads would start to peep out of cubicles or whatever and um as the song came to a crescendo dorm we were in was l-shaped and um there was a seating area kind of where the the two arms met and uh, as the song hit the crescendo everyone used to to run in and kind of tackle each other and it was it was a a free-for-all so that was kind of a memory of of the early years and the song that was associated with it probably a song that came up in the later years was uh, I really liked Nickelback at the time right. there was this song called Rockstar that became uh, really popular and the lads used to sing it just to slag me um, <laughs> but I <laughs> I used to get plenty of abuse of that but that was that was it and, and maybe another one and you know there was all sorts of songs that were associated with different things mm. but uh, uh, the James Bond theme song oh, was yeah. played by the orchestra at the time and we had uh, John McAuliffe uh, in our year used to play the French horn and he had a solo during it so <laughs> John couldn't walk through the door without someone starting <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the whole the whole place would be in on this like yeah. wait for him to walk through and walked into the dorms whenever you heard it yeah <laughs> and uh it would come up to the end and everyone would be banging on the walls and all sorts but uh yeah they're probably three songs that that resonate with me dur- during the time and do you meet regularly ever since you know we had our 10-year reunion um just coming out of covid so it was gotcha, actually babies. Last mere year, babies. I think it was it was delayed by a year, I think, with COVID. Yeah. But we had an amazing turnout. And Did you? we <laughs> we had an amazing turnout. We had about 40, 45 guys turn up to it. Um and we had it in uh, Maynooth. Right. I forget the hotel in Maynooth for in Glen Royal. But, um at the Glen Royal, there you have it. And it was hilarious. <laughs> one full floor or one wing of the hotel and we had a full floor booked out and um, it was like being back in school you know lads just wandering out into the corridor in their jocks uh, anybody <laughs> anybody have any deodorant yeah. you know that kind of stuff actually it's on? funny is it those um, behaviours that start when they're 12 rarely change if they haven't changed by the time they leave in rhetoric and when you meet them in later life it's deja vu all over again, Jack. You know, you say the same fellas are still doing the same things. Exactly. Have you got deodorant? Did you bring a comb? Can I borrow your shirt? You know what I mean? Some yeah, of those yeah, things yeah, have yeah. changed. Um, but it was because we had people there who had been abroad and were back and all sorts of 
like life has taken people in all sorts of different mm. paths and you know you have some amazing chats with people that you may not have necessarily been close to in school and for various reasons you've got new things in common and so on and so I think I was really fortunate with the year that I went through and you know some of the guys are have lived abroad and um, for a couple of years and it's been uh, actually really nice as we sort of come towards came towards our late 20s and most of us are kind of turning 30 at this stage that people have gradually started to move back that's been a, sort of a sense of a homecoming nearly you know and having, having people back around again and it's just like you haven't missed a beat when when yeah. you see each other it just picks up you pick up and where you left off yeah yeah that's probably down just to the closeness of of the relationships that, that you build in the early days yeah and if i was to ask you to sum up the Clongo's experience in a word or a phrase what would come to mind jack Probably community, something you don't really realize till you leave is that, um, yeah, it's it's far more than just you and your year group, you know. In those like, six years, yeah. Yeah, like that, you you join a community of others that have been through the school and you have a shared connection that that is different, I think, uh, and quite unique. And there's a real sense of community within that. Yeah, that's that's probably the first word that comes to mind. Jack Kavanagh, you're a remarkable man. It's a delight to speak to you. And thank you for joining me on the Memories of Clongos podcast. It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to to hearing um, the experiences of some of the others. And um, yeah, please keep it up. I think a lot of people will, will have smiles on their face listening back and reminiscing as they go. Very kind, Jack. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.